basically different. So I'm thinking of poker players and some poker players have a tell. And if they know what that tell is, they learn to hide it. So you might do something when you are guilty, but that something might be totally different from someone else. You might look down, you might look away. Uh, Again, now I'm thinking of dogs because dogs don't hide their guilt very well. When you say something, some dogs will look down, some will look away. They won't make eye contact. They'll turn their body away from you. Some will leave the room. If you expand that to humans, it works the same way. I might have a set of behaviors when I'm guilty of something. That's going to be different from someone else's set of behaviors. So what you have to do is get to know that person well enough, find out when they've done something wrong and see how they behave. So if you want to know what you do when you're guilty of something, you have to go out and do a whole bunch of bad things and then get people to accuse you of them and sort of maybe record your behavior and then learn what that behavior is and then try to stop it. And then now that you're conscious of it, you can change it. That's not going to make you not guilty though, because most things, if it's bad enough, there is some kind of evidence to back it up. And that's how you actually get caught. You don't get caught on your behavior. You don't get caught on looking guilty. You get caught out on actual things that you've done, evidence, mistakes you've made, things you've left behind. Who knows? I don't know what kind of crimes you're committing that you're this worried about looking guilty. I would bet since this is just a goofy little website that you probably cheated on your girlfriend or something and you're trying to figure out like how, if she accuses me of cheating, can I look not guilty? What can I not do? So you should get your girlfriend, you should cheat on her a couple times, leave your phone out with some messages so she finds out you're cheating. And then when she accuses you, record that situation. That could be like a thing you could put, call it a prank video, stick it up on the internet, maybe you'll make a dollar. And then you'll have to do it a couple more times. Now, this is going to be a lot of emotional pain for you. And you might not even be that good at getting girls. You might not want to risk it. So you have to make a couple of sort of serious decisions if you really want to get down to the core of this issue, which is what do you do specifically? And then start training yourself to change that behavior. That's still not going to give you a good relationship in the end. You're not going to actually be successful in any way. So maybe just don't do the bad things. Core question, how do Canadians clean their houses and how often? This is a weird question to ask because why would you even wonder why and how Canadians clean their houses compared to anyone else? Canada is a country full of a lot of diverse people. Sure, they have different personal habits. Some people clean a lot. Some people clean very rarely. But I think If you were going to take a standard from across the nation, it'd be like any other country. Because we're all living in igloos, really you just shovel off that top layer of snow in your igloo and throw it out the door. And your igloo apartment is clean. Uh, You do have to be careful. You don't want to dig down too far into the permafrost. So maybe you bring in some nice clean snow from outside, spread it around on the floor. Makes everything look sort of nice and fresh. It's a soft little thing for you to sleep on at the night. When I lived in an igloo in Canada, I think I cleaned once a week. I would swap out the snow from inside the igloo to outside to new fresh snow. Uh, That kept everything relatively fresh, living in sub zero temperatures constantly means you didn't really have to worry about things stinking too much but i think that's the same everywhere isn't it super fast just came up and it's kind of like one of those things that i i every time i see it i want to answer it but i've actually already answered this about three times in previous podcasts but i like the way this one was phrased more than anything else the core question is as a european why don't you want to live in the best country in the world brackets america These kind of questions are always asked without any proof that America is the greatest country in the world. It's always just set as if America being the greatest country in the world is a fact and not an opinion. 
And of course, even the Quora question answers hit the same thing. They hit the same tone that I do. It's like, well, first you actually have to kind of prove that your country's great because no one else actually thinks that. Why don't you want to live in the best country in the world, Belgium? Uh, and then, of course, Americans would take great offense at that, but it's the exact same thing happening on other sides. It's uh, well worth looking into, but I'm not going to get into the same rant. I might actually try to find the podcast where I answer this question best or at more in most in-depth, because I did it and it wasn't too long ago. And every time this question comes up, I can just say, like, refer to episode X and listen to that again. I'll get a huge numbers on one episode because it'll just actually be referring back to the same answer again and again and again. But I did like the way this was written. This was written with America in the brackets, in parentheses, making it sort of its own thing. Like, of course, maybe you didn't know this was the right answer, but this is the right answer. It's America. It's good to be back in Japan. Taking two weeks off actually means like three weeks break or four weeks break because you have to get back into sort of your routine, your cycles. I've actually found that habits and routines are the most beneficial thing to being productive. And a two-week break is incredibly disruptive because it means it, it disrupts my exercise, it disrupts my, my podcasting schedule or anything else I want to do, even just like my video games, uh, something I want to do regularly. I don't want it to get to a point where I feel like, oh, I got to play as much as I can because I'll only get one chance because then I waste that time not doing other stuff. I'm thinking we have big breaks, like one week, two weeks, three weeks breaks in work for summer vacation, winter vacation, I actually would like 14 Fridays off. So basically give me two months of four day work weeks. I think I might actually be happier with that than I am with the big long break because I'm doing sort of a slow recharge of my batteries. Trip to Canada was fine. Everyone of course wants to know how the stand-up comedy went because it was the open mic night that I did especially because I referred to it as a tentative trash fire because I'm not a comedian. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I've never done this kind of thing before. Podcasting is comfortable. I think primarily because I'm in my room by myself. There's really no pressure and I get to go back and edit it. If I mess something up, if I make a mistake while I'm talking, I can just do that sentence again or delete it or just throw it out altogether. No one will ever hear of it or know of it. That's a pretty appealing aspect of podcasting for me is the ability to edit myself or even censor myself completely uh, I've thrown out complete segments thinking like that came off wrong or that felt wrong after I did it. I went to the comedy club with my friend who'd actually set this whole thing up. We were sitting around having a couple drinks beforehand and a guy came over and started talking to us and he asked us if we were going up tonight and he was being very friendly and I started getting this weird vibe from him because when I said, uh, this is my first time, I'm really nervous, I'm, I'm probably going to mess it up, he started talking exclusively about all the times he bombed his first time when he bombed and then this other time when he bombed and how much pressure it is and how bad you feel it took me a while to figure out why it was bugging me so much it's because i realized he's trying to throw me off my game this happened to me in judo competition people would talk to you and they would talk to you about failures and mistakes and weaknesses but what they're actually doing is trying to throw you off your mental game so you're thinking about that when you go out to fight and he was doing a similar thing. He was talking about failure so that I would start thinking about failure. Now, I don't know whether he was doing it consciously or not, but I think deep down inside what he was doing was hoping he could reduce my ability to perform. Thus, if he followed me or came after me later in the evening, if he did a mediocre to good job, he would look that much better. The strange thing talking about it, though, is that for 
sports or things that are directly competitive where you have a winner and a loser, it does actually sort of make sense because I need to beat you to win. I need to be the winner, which means you have to be the loser. But when you get into any sort of artistic thing, so painting, in this case, comedy or music, you don't need to beat someone to be successful. In fact, you could all be successful together. Maybe I do a really good routine, you play off that, and then I've actually got the audience hyped up, they feel better for you. If I was an actual comedian, or this could guy, we could just apply this to podcasts since I'm doing a podcast now. If I have a podcast audience that's growing, you have a competitor podcast, it's not like there's a finite number of people who are going to listen to my podcast versus yours. It's not like people choose, oh, I'm going to go listen to podcast A and refuse to listen to podcast B. People listen to multiple ones. They're going to listen to my podcast and another podcast and another one after that. One fan can be a fan of multiple things and that works for this comedy. So his technique probably was to build himself up, but that actually makes me think he was just a weak comedian. So I had prepared almost all the Hulk material from the podcast. If you go, I've done about three podcasts where I talk about the Hulk. I tried to boil that down into about five minutes of actual jokes, maybe a joke every 30 seconds or something like that in the hopes of getting a laugh every 30 seconds. As I walked from my table to the stage, I decided to do what I always do, which is throw out all that preparation and just start talking about what I was thinking about that moment because he had affected me. I was distracted. So as I hit the stage, I've just dumped all the material I've prepared and I start with basically the story I just told you. And I realized I have a pattern of how I actually do things. So that this actually, I realized when I started thinking about this and how I actually used to write when I used to review video games, I would set up the premise. I would talk about me. So I got up and I said, I'm very nervous. It's my first time. I'm actually scared. I'm probably going to suck. But that's just to set up a certain amount of sympathy. Then I actually tell, go into my story. And in this case, it was, I was just sitting at the bar with my friend. I'm nervous. My friend's nervous for me. And this guy, Doug, comes over and he starts to try to ruin my game. I was a bit more effusive because this was a show. But I'm giving you sort of the short version. And the guy was just trying to fuck up my program. So... I couldn't figure out what made that made me so angry. And what made me angry was it was a false friendliness to set up the ability to interact. If he hadn't been fake friendly to me at first, I wouldn't have talked to him. So he wouldn't have been able to execute his plan. And this happened to me a week before when I was in a hotel with my kids in the pool and this old hippie dude was swimming laps. Now, he came over and quite in a friendly way said, where are you from? And I said, Japan. He went, huh, welcome. And then he immediately went on to basically, in a very nice, polite way, tell me to fuck off and stay on the other side of the pool so he could swim his laps. Now, the thing is, I'm a big white dude and me saying I'm from Japan should be a conversation starter. But he clearly did not give a shit about me he did not care about my kids. He didn't care about any of the information he just asked for. He wanted an introduction so that he could tell me to fuck off to the other side of the pool. And he wouldn't have been able to tell me to fuck off to the other side of the pool if he hadn't used that false friendly introduction. And that false friendly introduction is what pissed me off most. It was made me most angry. So of course, being a, a, a responsible adult, I did try to move my kids over to the side, but my kids disturbed him a couple times and I heard this like grumpy, oh fuck, come on. The way he told me to fuck off was also weirdly friendly because he's like, immediately after saying, I'm from Japan, he goes, great, thanks, welcome. What I would like is to swim my laps. I'm here. I just want to think my thoughts and meditate. And I'm thinking, you dumb hippie fuck. Because this is it. This is what bothers me. You don't give a shit about other people. And 
I think this is another thing that really bothers me because a lot of people who preach, you know, caring about other people don't. They actually just want to use that term, use that idea, use that feeling to get what they want so that you feel guilt and have to do whatever they ask you to do so they get everything they want in their peaceful world that's all about them. The hippie lifestyle is very much, you know, live and let live. But it's live and let live until you bug me and then fuck off. And that seems to be a consistent thing with anyone who follows sort of an extreme or dedicated philosophy is they're not really sincere in the let others live their lives part. I think this applies to hippies and Christianity and uh, politics and pretty much all walks of life to some degree. I don't subscribe to anything so strongly because I am fully in the position of you do what you want. I am honest about it though. Don't bug me. If your lifestyle starts to interfere with my lifestyle, then we have to actually work something out. But I'm not going to lie about it or pretend that I actually care about you. I just want you to fuck off to the other side of the pool, maybe. I'm not going to say it that way, but I would probably not do the false introduction. I'd just say, excuse me, I'm trying to play with my kids or I'm trying to swim laps. Could you stay on that side of the pool? I'd really appreciate it and just leave it at that. I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm not trying to get in with you. I'm just trying to ask what I want. When I got on the airplane one time, a strap from a man's bag when he was putting it in the overhead container hit me in the head. And of course, I was annoyed that something hit me in the head. He immediately just turned around and said, oh, if that hits you, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. It was an accident. And then I forgot about it completely. And it's because I realized right then and there that he wasn't, there was no false front. He was just apologizing for something that may or may not have happened. And I accepted it right out of hand, no problems. I didn't tell the second part of that story. I just talked about the hippie guy and how his fake introduction and how he'd missed the cue to actually talk to me like a human being because he just wanted to get what he said. And then I wrapped up and said, and here's Doug. Doug was the guy who was fucking with me before the show. Then I walk off stage. Doug is up next. But of course, I've just put him in a really weird position where he now has the audience primarily against him I wasn't that funny. I, in the five minutes, got like about four laughs, which was one a minute, maybe not even that much, because I got a lot of sort of gentle laughs and they were sort of enjoying the story. Uh, but it was not a hilarious show like, of course, I would have dreamed it to be uh, in my head when I was preparing. Doug gets on stage and he looks at the audience and he has this kind of nervous laugh like, <laughs> and then he goes, what an asshole that guy was, huh? And the only thing, this is what made the whole night, in the back, some guy shouted out, yeah, he seems all right. Now that for me was it. That was that heckle solidified everything I did and made it worthwhile because that shows that I had at least the audience on my side. I think if I had 10, 20 minutes, maybe I could have done more. Again, before I did this, I realized I'm not a joke teller. I tell stories. Stories take a lot more time. There's a lot more buildup. And honestly, the satisfactory conclusion isn't the same as a really good joke. Or maybe I just don't have that skill yet. I might get it in a couple of years or 10 years if I practice. But there's not really any scenario in Japan where I could actually do that. So this was a one-off. I probably will never go back again or try again. But I did have a really good time. And I did have a really positive experience. After the show, I went back and sat down with my friend. And we started having a couple more drinks. And after Doug had finished his bit, he started walking over to my table. Now, of course, he was going to give me shit for what i just done. Because basically, I just ruined his set. Thing is, as soon as he got up to my table, my friend who was with me, because I didn't want to engage with Doug. I was done with this guy. But my friend who was with me looked at Doug before he could say anything and said, if you do anything, if you say anything, you're going to give him material for another set. And Doug got pissed off and left. So that was the 
total experience of my time doing stand-up comedy, probably my whole comedy career, start to finish in one evening. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if I have the balls to do it again and again and again. That might make it easier. Uh, but I think I would want to elevate it and actually do it, tell proper jokes, which I don't know if I could actually do the construction for. Still, worthwhile experience. Got me out of my comfort zone. Had a really good time. If you were there, thanks for coming. Uh, probably no one who listens to this was, or at least I'm, I'm sure that no one who listens to this podcast was actually there that night. Uh, and that's probably a good thing because I don't think I would want people who knew me or listened to this show actually at that event because it was probably too much for me. The loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna suck.